<laughs> no, I say I say to the fans that the fans are the fans and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reaction. Football everything. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Lewandowski, you know, Robert Lewandowski. Dream team, dream team. Fire, swoosh. I am flabbergasted and they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the bus after the match. I'd get a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> the only time that tennis balls ever made me angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis balls. These boys are fucking mentality <laughs> giants. It's unbelievable. This is a great football and could produce players and ground play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's the decision. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony, I have to be honest with you. Stephen Kenny, we've won it. So go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better. And fighting is there! What happens if you put the sheets of two super-rich petrostates and a Russian oligarch into a room? Well, I'm sure you'd have a pretty fancy room and also three quarters of the Champions League semi-finals where all of a sudden Real Madrid don't seem to be the bad guys anymore. Hello and welcome to this week's Trade the Bad podcast brought to you by BackpageFootball.com. I'm joined, as always, by Enda Higgins and Phil Green to take a look at the Champions League action this week. How are you, Les? Good, thanks. Good to talk to you, lads. So PSG, Manchester City, Chelsea and Real Madrid will make up the final four in Europe. We'll be taking a look at the quarterfinal action and taking a closer look at PSG, Mbappe, Neymar and their place in French football with Jeremy Smith from the French Football Weekly podcast a little bit later on. So stay tuned for that. Um, Before we move on, some news and notes. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, please do. You'll find a link in the show notes on our app or over on the Twitter page. And that comes out every Friday afternoon, so be sure to get in on that. Um, some great stuff over there the past few weeks. Um, and if that's not enough for you, you can get on board the Discord server for some football chat during big games and some big news stories. And once again, the link to that will be in your show notes. Um, Leds, I tried to come up with some Dulux-related quote for um, or joke for, for Liverpool's week. Um, but I, I, I just couldn't find the right colour. <laughs> no, uh, no. Uh, um, not sure, uh, but uh, you still understood it better than Jose. He was asked about it this morning, and his face just—oh dear! Yeah, he was. Uh, he was asked about the dog, and he just didn't know what was happening. But the bigger thing was the Dulux admin ripping Spurs to shreds thirty minutes after announcing that. Uh, um, thirty minutes after announcing the partnership, including <laughs> posting a, an empty trophy cabinet, which I'm sure is, uh, <laughs> is is really going to warm yourself to the Spurs fans. So I mean, um, as as somebody whose club who's gone through a lot of sponsorship announcements in the past three or four years, um, ranging from wine etc. to anything Woodward mm. can get his hands on, um, I was pretty impressed with the Dulux admin deciding just to take the club down in thirty minutes. So. You know, fair play to him. He just went, he went down in a ball of flames. Like I, I, I presume like all of these guys are probably working from home at the moment. And I, I just, I'd love to imagine like the reaction when they realised that four or five tweets in what this guy is up to <laughs> yeah. in, his, in his bedroom somewhere tweeting away. The, the one with the dog playing pool because he said he doesn't like football was a particular highlight as well, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> you see, they've they've issued an apology via the same, the exact the same Twitter account. Uh, to say that it does not reflect how proud they are to be the yeah. official paint supplier of the club. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I'm curious what a paint supplier does because 
Old Trafford certainly needs a liquor too, you know. Um, oh, they're they're so. they're they're going to give color matches to all the uh, buildings under Spurs remit and uh, give them a lick of paint. Apparently, that was actually in the announcement. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty good business. So if that's you know, like that's a good contract to get, want. isn't it? Yeah, yeah I mean, bad. <laughs> paint all the holes in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium would cost a few quid, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. You know, fair play to them. Surprise! I'm surprised Man United haven't haven't got their first, considering they have. Uh, uh, have a sponsor for nearly everything at this stage. Uh, was it was it a pillow sponsor tonight, or a bed sponsor? Didn't uh, they have pillow. one of those for a pillow? Yeah, yeah, pillow, and obviously the collar sleeve and Diablo wine and about forty other things as well. Yeah, that uh, I, I keep forgetting about because there's just too many at this stage. But uh, <laughs> it's it's good for business. Yeah, pioneers <laughs> for sure. Yeah, Woodward was definitely uh, looking onto that one with a little bit of jealousy. Phil. Um, We'll get on to the action and I suppose not a huge surprise that Liverpool didn't claw it back um, on Wednesday night. But I guess it was a little bit of a surprise that it was a nil-all draw. Um, Real Madrid kind of made sure of it. They're fairly stout at the back. Um, what did you make of the game? Yeah, it, 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 so for the first 15 minutes stand up there, I think, what Anthony and Liverpool have produced since fans went away from the stadiums. Um, I thought they were absolutely great. I thought yeah. they managed to bring a level of intensity that they normally only bring when they're whipped into a frenzy by the crowd. Um, didn't know it at the time, but Salah's chance in the second or third minute, whatever it was, actually was probably the swinging of the game. Um, like if you can imagine what a goal that early would have meant to Liverpool and what it would ask of Madrid, the position it would put Real in, uh, knowing that you know another goal for Liverpool would have them ahead in the tie, meaning they'd probably look to sit back and be less likely to spring out. Um, so it, like it. While after 15 minutes I thought it was a pity they hadn't scored, I didn't think it was the the swinging of the game. But like it sounds obvious, but the longer it went on, even into half an hour, 40 minutes, and Liverpool hadn't scored, you were really starting to see that it was going to be a slog because it felt like a long way back from two goals after that first 15. And again, they were probably they were good again, probably for the first 10 of the second half, uh, but. Real in that kind of way that they've mastered under Zidane with this with this kind of battle hardened team, their best ten minutes of the game was this the ten between seventy and eighty, and it just choked the life out of Liverpool. Like by the time Liverpool got back on the front foot, there was kind of seven or eight minutes left, and Liverpool still needed two goals, and the race was kind of run. Uh, I thought it was really impressive the the control that Real had over the game in those ten minutes. They like starved Liverpool of any good possession. They had a few chances of their own. And the tempo was just kind of really taken out of it. Um, so I completely appreciate people are saying that Liverpool lost it or Real won it, is a, a fair way to say it, in the first half of the first leg. And I think that's true. But even allowing for how good Real were then and how much Liverpool helped them, Liverpool had the chances last night. And I think if Salah had scored that early, you're probably looking at a very different scenario. So I think even allowing for Real having exposed the weaknesses of Liverpool, and Liverpool haven't done themselves no favours at all in that first leg. Last night, there was enough chances there to say that Liverpool have regrets about it. Uh, but I don't think you can really complain if you're Liverpool that they, that Real didn't deserve to go through. I think Real probably did because they had a half where they took their chances and then they were pretty stout, like you said, for, for the next three halves of, of the tie. Thiago excluded again. Um in fairness, Milner had a had a pretty good opening, maybe twenty minutes or so, and and he had one excellent effort, um, which was saved by Courtois. 
But um, were you surprised to see Thiago not given the given the, the start in midfield? I mean, before the game, I probably would have had him in in my team. But the way the, the team played, I don't think you can pick much fault with the selection this time. Um, the, the way the team went when Thiago came on and Jota, and they went to that two in midfield, the, that actually coincided with Real getting a, a footing in the game and Liverpool's control went a little bit. Don't think that's Thiago's fault by any stretch. Um, but I was surprised he didn't play, but then Milner did set a certain tone. He brought kind of a leadership that had been a little bit missing in that first leg. And I thought that the, the team performance was pretty solid for the first 60. So I can't really pick too many, can't pick the bones for too much. I mean, <laughs> I just keep coming back to the fact that if Salah scores that goal in the first minute, everything looks a good deal rosier and any selection issues is like, oh yeah, well, of course Milner was going to make a difference because he, he, you know, clattered Benzema in the first minute and Wijnaldum brought the pressing or whatever would have happened. Uh, I think so much is conditioned by what the game state was that um, it would have been hailed as a bit of a genius. It's that thing that Van Hal used to always give out about that uh, the result determines the narrative. Um, I think the performance in the first 60 actually justified the selection. It was everything barred the finish so i would have had him in the team but i actually thought that the team performed quite well without him yeah it, it kind of goes back to the point we've made several times whereas you look at the more functional liverpool midfield and the options that it seems to give them and certainly they're able to press a lot more um and then when tiago did come on whether it was his fault or not they lost a lot of control in the middle of the pitch and that probably coincides as well with wijnaldum not being able to press as much <clears throat> but um Overall, it was probably Liverpool's best performance, certainly since the Leicester game, and probably one of their their best of the season, which kind of does, doesn't do them any favours really overall, because a, a lot of the narrative has been focused on the the injuries at the back, whereas really I think it's the front six that has faltered just as much this season, um, and certainly the quality of their finishing has really let them down as well. Um, you look at some of the chances they created last night, and if that had happened eighteen months, twenty four months ago, uh, Liverpool probably would have scored three or four goals pretty comfortably. So, um. But overall, I, I was very impressed with how Liverpool played last night. But also, I, I think you need to give a lot of credit to Madrid as well. Their third and fourth choice centre-back in Militao and Nacho mm. were really excellent last night. I must say, um, yeah. you know, missing Varane and Ramos for both legs, you, yeah. you, you would have thought that, you know, Liverpool would have had a huge chance. For me, it made them favourite in the tie overall, actually, such as the influence of that um, Madrid centre central defence. And then, of course... Valverde at right back as well it was a huge opportunity and it looked like Mane was going to take it when he started the game so well but again um, Madrid were able to handle that as the game went on and you know Casemiro in particular had one of his best games of the season especially after mm. he clattered Robertson in the first half <laughs> uh, much to the enjoyment of Zidane but um, overall I actually think it was a great match for a nil all um, and it was a shame that you know, around 87 or 88 minutes, I would have liked to see a Liverpool goal just to see how Madrid would have handled that last four or five minutes. Mm. Um, but overall, I think the damage was done in the first leg. And, and if you look at, you know, the four teams that are left, um, I, I think Madrid are in a pretty good position to, you know, definitely reach the final at least. And whoever they come up against, you know that their experience, especially in that midfield three, they'll be tough to stop. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the semi-finals. Yeah, I mean, that first 15 or 20 minutes, if they had scored and there was a crowd there straight away, you'd be, you know, fancying Liverpool to, to drag it back. Um, I thought as the game went on, you know, chances got a little bit more scattered. Um, pot shots, to, you know, they struggled to create. Um, and I think it was a very professional performance from Madrid. I think 
like you said, Valverde was probably my, my man of the match. Um, I thought he was excellent up against Mane, um, who's really struggled um, the past couple of weeks. It, it just seems a bit off, doesn't he? Um, he hasn't got going. Um, yeah. Marcelo is kind of, he's looked off, but he's still scoring goals, um, which is something, even though he missed uh, a couple of nice chances last night. Um, and in fairness, Trent against Vinicius was excellent. I know we, we gave yeah. him, yeah, I gave him a tough time last yeah. week, in fairness. But um, <laughs> I thought, you know, there was a moment in the second half where it looked like Vinicius had left him for dead and he got back yeah. and won the ball yeah. back. And I think that, you know, from a Liverpool's perspective, that must have given him and mm. the fans a lot of confidence as well because, you know, he must it's, he must be pretty down at the moment. So I, I thought that was a good night for him as well going forward. Yeah, I thought it was kind of the converse of last week where Trent and Nat were probably our best players. Um, I mean, Nash, he just sticks his head in anywhere. The, the, the corner um, that Liverpool had, and he just kind of barged into three or four guys. Like um, yeah. he, he has no, um, he, he doesn't hold back when it comes to uh, just flinging his body at things. Yeah, but, but then when he, Benzema left him for dead in the first half, you did kind of think, right, here we go again, yeah. kind of things. But in fairness, like he, I think he knows he won't be certainly starting these type of matches in the future. So. And probably doesn't have a future at Liverpool anyway. Um, if they sign and and get everybody fit again, so in fairness to him, I mean he's doing everything he can to to justify being selected. And he actually had a very good night last night as the match went on. Yeah, I, I, I don't think whatever way this season shakes out, I don't think there can be any, many fingers pointed on Nat Phillips. Um, in terms of like a lack of effort or anything like that, I mean he's absolutely not a Champions League quarterfinal quality centre half but he doesn't let that stop him he doesn't shirk it either and uh, not just in the physical stuff which he actively relishes but like rightly or wrongly he got on plenty of ball last night and I know Madrid would have wanted him to and he didn't always use it great but he's not somebody who's afraid to to do it to stand up um, as a not very young but as a young player uh, with with not much standing in this team and who basically everyone accepts that he's like a lower half Premier League top half championship player. Um, like his his willingness to stand up and be counted, I thought's been really impressive so far. And last night, just another addition to it. I, yeah, I thought he was he, he was quite impressive given all the circumstances. Phil, I was watching Firmino, and I mean, it's been well talked about at this stage that you know he brings so much to the table in terms of his work rate and his ability to kind of you know, thread that front tree together. Um, but I think this season, especially, you know, his his lack of cl- uh, clinicalness in front of a goal has ha- has really stood out. And I was kind of, like, Ken Early had the, that article in the Irish Times last week talking about moving Trent to midfield. And I remember when he first kind of came on the scene, there was that kind of assumption that he'd eventually move into midfield Um but I don't think anyone at the time kind of realised how good he was at at right back, and he was kind of revolutionising the position in a way. And I look at Firmino, and I mean, you might disagree with me here, and I mean, Wijnaldum is probably going to leave in the summer. Would Firmino be more suited to a conversion into a kind of a midfield role? I mean, that's where he started out when he first came to the club. Um, he's really struggling to score goals, but in terms of the other facets of his game, I mean... He's probably not a worse tackler than, say, Thiago, for example, who who seems to give away a couple of fouls every game. Um, I mean, he doesn't seem to be losing his legs. He's He has a little bit of creativity. Do you think he could slot into a midfield role? I mean, it's just something I've thrown out there in terms of kind of trying to fix a couple of uh, issues with kind of one move. 
I think the only way I see it working is if it goes to a 4-2-3-1. I don't think he would work as one of Klopp's three in this kind of traditional 4-3-3. Uh, as Enders said a good few times this season, it's a, kind of a, a preference for a functional player in there, uh, whether that's Wijnaldum, Henderson or Fabinho, various types of functionality within those players. But um, you, you see, like even when Coutinho at the back end of playing for Liverpool, they tried him a few times in the eight. Didn't really work. They had to move him back into into the front three. I think absolutely if what we saw at the end of the game last night in terms of 4-2-3-1 with those four forwards on, on the t- on the pitch and Firmino as a 10, I can definitely see it and, and, and working that way. But just of, of what Klopp asks of those three in the kind of traditional 4-3-3, I don't think Firmino quite has it. I think it's more likely that he becomes that option in a 10 and that he becomes one of maybe five options for that are at the club and they might add one this summer and that his game time will just start to, to drift out a little bit. I think what doesn't help for me, like he he wasn't, it took him until the last game, of last home game of last season to score a goal at Anfield. Um, he didn't shoot the lights out by any manner or means, but what was in his favour was that Salah was scoring and Mane was scoring. And when Mane isn't scoring, you're all of a sudden have two of your three front line that's not that isn't car- that Salah's carrying the whole can and Jota when he when he comes in, so I think you can carry Firmino on his lower goal rate for everything else that he brings if you have two players on the pitch who are an imminent goal threat. Uh, I think what's really been pointed for Firmino is that he's had a lower level this season in his general play as well, and um, but his goal scoring is even more apparent when you can't rely on Mane to be- to bail him out as well as Salah. Um, so I, I think the reliance of Liverpool on him, if they if the summer goes the way they want, I think they'll be less reliant on needing Firmino to produce their very best, which I think you saw in, in the first leg when he wasn't on the pitch, um, the performance level wasn't as high as it could have been. It was better last mm. night. So I think they're still reliant on him in this 4-3-3. But if the summer goes the way they want, I'd imagine that reliance will dim a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if... Harvey Elliott has a role to play here if we're looking forward for Liverpool. I think my concern about their front three is they're all in their late 20s now. They've played 50 mm-hmm. games for three or four seasons in a row now in a very high press, high intensity, you know, high work rate type of formation. You know, this isn't a, an LVG side who just sit back and try and soak up pressure and, and hit teams on the counter. I mean, Liverpool are all action for three or four seasons, seasons now under Klopp and the biggest difference this season is they seem to have lost that. And I just wonder, you know, you look at the impact that somebody like Jota has had, and it might be something like that again that they need to do in that midfield as, as Wijnaldum moves out. And you look at Elliot, for example, even though he is only 18, he's he's been around Liverpool for, you know, two or three years now. He's played 35 matches in the championship this season, scoring five goals. And that's a really competitive league. And we've seen a lot of players come from the championship and not look out of place in the Premier League. So, you know... Again, like Phil said, if if Liverpool have the summer that they they want to have, then you know I, I imagine um, he he probably won't have a bigger ro- role to play next season. But um, Liverpool haven't always gotten their main targets under FSG, so it, it'll be interesting to see how the summer goes for sure. But um, I, I think they do need to shake things up a bit at this stage, and maybe Wijnaldum yeah. moving on as sensational as he has been and was great last night as well. Um, it might just give them an opportunity to to do a bit of a refresh. Mm. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised they move Kate on as well. And Thiago might be, 
might become that player that they thought they were signing. Um, although at 30 years of age, he doesn't exactly bring that freshness or press that Klopp or Liverpool require. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. And, and he's a player that I would look at just from the outside in. You know more about the club than I do, who I think that that could be an option um, going forward. I'm very into that. Very, very into that. Heavy <laughs> LHL. <laughs> We'll see, we'll see. But uh, he's he's a cracking player, you know. And um, anybody who's yeah. played every week in the championship, I mean, we've seen with James Garner and Nottingham Forest, you know. Um, he struggled at Watford, but, uh, you know, those type of loans that go, that go well um, in the lower English divisions, um, it seems to serve players very, very well. And they seem to be more suited to coming back to the Premier League um, and having an impact at their club. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how he goes next season and how much Klopp will use him. England's young lion Mason Mount, of course, and uh, another good example. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a few players who have hung me out to dry this season. Rabio nearly did against Porto as well, you know. So, um, listen, I'll, I'll give Mount his credit because, uh, uh, you know, he's proved me wrong. So, fair play to him. Um, and as I said, he did go on loan in Derby, did play very well. Um, so, yeah. Sure, I'd rather use Garner as an example, hopefully, um, <laughs> or even Elliot. But yeah, I've I've had to uh, I've I've had to take a few hits on some players this season, and, and Mount is Mount is definitely probably top of that list. I would say um, I'd still be taking Grealish and and um, Madison over him if I could, but uh, that's not going to happen. It'll probably be actually we could be in a situation where Lingard and Mount travel over Grealish and Madison, which would just be insane looking back six months ago. But uh, um, that's kind of where England are at the moment. So, um, yeah, fair play, Mason. I'll give him that one, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a segue into um, into Chelsea's qualification past Porto. Um, they have the most appearances uh, in the semi-finals for an English side now in, in the, the Champions League era, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I suppose um, since Roman Abramovich came on board, they've been kind of regulars there in that final four. Um, they're the outside favourites. Um, amongst that four, do you give them any bit of a chance to go all the way? Yeah, I think they have a real chance. Um, like Madrid are obviously, as as is the Vogue to say, in a really good moment at the minute, both in terms of performance and in terms of confidence. Um, but there was enough, I think, shown by Liverpool last night and in the second half in Madrid that Chelsea will take great encouragement from that. Like they've got certainly kind of a front. They've got like a if everything clicks and it obviously hasn't this season, but they've like an array of attacking talent that anyone would be envious of. And Tuchel's key and what he's done for the team is he's really tightened things up at the back. So like th- those chances or those weaknesses that Madrid exploited really well um, against Liverpool and then that first leg shouldn't be there for Chelsea or against Chelsea rather. Um, what goes against, what goes in Madrid's favour obviously is the fact that um, they're they've been there done that in this Chelsea team and this incarnation hasn't it's individual players who have but as a collective they haven't um so i think they have a chance i would still fancy madrid just that kind of battle hard and streetwise nature you're gonna have um Varane back anyway i don't i don't know about ramos um like ram is only COVID to he'll be back and um, so I'd, I'd favor madrid but i do think chelsea have a real chance and there's kind of they're at nothing to lose now you know a semi-final appearance is probably ahead of schedule for them so they can go out with relatively no fear and give it a real crack. I, I I think they probably do have a good chance. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at the the four teams left, um, obviously Madrid and PSG are chasing the league and are in very tight 
uh, almost three-way battles really there. And Chelsea are chasing yeah. top four. And then you just have City who could just sit back, really. Well, unless the Tricky Reds close the eight-point gap, which isn't possible, <laughs> obviously. But um, uh, I would just be concerned that Chelsea, um, with the schedule that they have, yeah. um, probably... And they still haven't really nailed down their best front three uh, under Tuchel, which is kind of a problem. You know Madrid's the front six that started against Liverpool and both legs. That's that's their go-to. And we know that they have enough defensive cover across the back four. Whereas with Chelsea, I mean, you look at the last night, it was a 3-4-3 with Havertz as the false nine, Pulisic and Mount either side. I mean, they're still trying to work that out. I, th- I think the West Brom game would have knocked Tuchel back a bit. It almost feels like it's had this kind of... Uh, Leicester effect that uh, it had on LVG when he lost 5-3 and there was panic stations rather than just sticking to what was working for him before so that would be my only concern with Chelsea they don't really have a striker in form I'm, I'm still surprised that Giroud isn't now their main number nine I mean he's who Sarri turned to when they when they needed to get over the line in Europa a few years ago and again at the end of last season um, Lampard got some important goals out of him to get to the FA Cup final so if you think that Chilwell and James as your wing backs in a three four three, surely Giroud is your your main target in, in that kind of formation. But um, it seems to be kind of between Havertz and um, uh, Werner, uh, even Abraham isn't getting much for looking at the moment. So um, I, they have a chance against Madrid. I think it'll be actually be, be a very tight game. Um, yeah. But I, I think Madrid will just have a bit too much experience and a bit too much. Um, their team now is too settled from where they were sort of even two months ago when they were still trying to find um, some sort of identity again um, post-COVID and after winning the league last season. They were a bit sloppy and, uh, and dropped a lot of points, but they've really found that kind of rhythm again that they found at the end of last season where they, you know, they were just taking games off for fun. And I feel like they're getting into that kind of mode again, um, <clears throat> which is probably a big problem for Chelsea. Yeah, I wonder where the goals are going to come from for Chelsea. Um, especially if Madrid kind of shut up shop like they did against Liverpool, um, it could be a kind of a you know a tight affair over two legs. Um, and then obviously if they get into the final, they'll definitely have to score goals um, against PSG or, or City. Um, so I mean, Giroud came on last night. He was one of two subs. So I mean, Tuchel must be wondering where he's going to find these goals. Um, I don't know if Werner. I mean, he's really struggled, hasn't he? Um, he doesn't seem to to fancy Abraham, even though he's kind of had bit part bit part appearances here and there. But um, I don't know if this this kind of false nine Kai Havertz thing he has going on is, is going to be enough to to get over the line against against the type of teams that are left in the competition. Finally, quick word on Man City and Dortmund. Um, a little bit of a hiccup early on with that fantastic Jude Bellingham goal. But City finally marshaled their way through into the semi-finals of the Champions League. And, I mean, it's been a little bit of a, a real struggle for them um, and a struggle for Pep as well since he came to the club. Um, and now it looks like it's it's their best chance ever to go all the way. Their favourites with the bookies. Um, can they do it? I mean, they... Dortmund gives them a little bit of, scare, of a scare over the two legs. Um, it was probably a little bit tighter than, than Pep would have hoped. Um, but talk about a, a cracker of a, a fixture coming up against PSG. Yeah, I mean, if there's ever going to be a team that will burn Pep's head out trying to figure them out and ways to stop them, um, it'll be Neymar and Mbappe uh, and PSG. I mean, like, like Enda said, and it was a great point I hadn't thought about, um, the, the league title race is something the PSG aren't used to being in. Uh, that that they are facing into and that City 
likely aren't going to be and um, will be a benefit to City. <clears throat> it's really hard to call. I mean, PSG, if they give up the amount of chances that they gave up to Bayern, you don't fancy um, City to pass up that many chances. Um, but it, it's hard to call from this remove. I mean, it should be a fantastic game. Um, I could be talked into either. I mean, I tend to go in to most games that City play and think they're going to win. You can't underestimate. There is going to be a psychological burden for this side. They've they've gone past the quarterfinals now, which is great. But the next thing is to get past this fi- the semi-final burden. Obviously, they've been in one semi-final was when Pellegrini was manager, and um, they they didn't didn't crack at that time. And now they're trying to go, still still chasing the quadruple at the minute. Um, I find it nearly impossible to call at this stage, but. I, like there's just something in the back of my head that City aren't going to do it and I've no good reason to say that other than they haven't done it yet and that's a stupid reason but um, I just think like you know there's like for, for as unbelievable as City are and as good as Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne in particular have been I think you look at the the 11s and you're saying I mean are two of the best three players on PSG's team the best player is is, is Neymar in the, in the next two slots somewhere um, and that might just be enough. Yeah, with the PSG squad, you've got to look at who could potentially be back. And if Verratti and Marquinhos can come back, you know, behind that front four of, you know, Di Maria, Neymar, Mbappe, and whoever, the forwards, it could be Arcardi or, or whoever it is. But um, I, I, I'm like, Phil, the more I think about it, the more I think PSG will just, just sneak it. Because, first of all, there's that psychological element, obviously, that City have never, never gotten past this round before but also I mean Pep again it's this necessity to almost think too much to try and be too clever Mm. and it kind of happened last night really I mean if you look at that Dortmund defence why wouldn't you start you know Jesus as your number nine you know but again he kind of invited pressure on the the way City played at the start and and this is a Dortmund team that was missing you know Sancho um, you know missing Witzel and Delaney in midfield I mean Emery Chan had a disaster class as well. I mean, if but if that penalty wasn't given, I mean, City are one goal away from going out, and PSG won't give them that type of uh, joy that Dortmund mm. did over the two legs. Uh, obviously, PSG give up a lot of chances, and we'll we'll, we'll move on to that later on. But um, City do as well as as we've seen against teams who who actually go at them, as Dortmund did in both legs. In fairness, and again, if the yeah. if the disallowed goal doesn't go against them, if they get the penalty shout at the Etihad that they should have, and if that Emery Chan penalty last night is viewed differently I mean that's a three goal swing in a in a two leg tie um so the the one concern you'd have about those city center backs is they don't have an awful lot of pace they're brilliant on the ball they're brilliant in the air um uh, they're great in possession great tackling but you know if Kyle Walker doesn't play a- against Mbappe then um they're going to have a lot of joy um against that city back four and and you just think can they withstand that type of pace? They didn't when he played against them for Monaco a few years ago. Um, and now he has Neymar for company as well. So it, it's going to be an amazing tie, though. It really is. Um, I've not looked forward to a, a semi-final tie like this for, for a long time, just because there's so many elements to it. You could change your mind lots of times. And, of course, the Pochettino factor as well. He he, It might be his best chance to get to a you know, another Champions League final yeah. for quite yeah. some time as well. And he might overthink it. He's under a lot of pressure. He's still chasing a league title. It's his first season uh, at PSG. So there's a lot for him to worry about as well, personally, at his own club. So 
Um, I mean, it's it's a match you could talk about for two hours, but uh, I think PSG might just sneak it. On last night, um, I mean, Bellingham with a hell of a strike. Um, Foden followed that up a little bit later on with a, a decent strike of his own. Um, combined age of 37 is kind of making a lot of people feel <laughs> very old at the moment. Um, I mean, talk about two superstars in the making there between between those two. Absolutely, like, ridiculous. I mean, every time you think that England are getting towards the end of the well of this, like, fantastic squad, it's like another younger, better player comes along. I mean, like, Foden and Bellingham might be the best two that they that they have. Um, and you look at the rest of the squad and you're like, well, that's that's saying something. Um, oh, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. And, like, like, you look at what Bellingham does last night, and the effect he has across the tie, and you think, like, how do you not bring him in a 23-man squad to the Euros? And then you're also thinking, but who can you leave out for? Like, it's just, it's it's safe to say that just, like, 10 years of those two lads being absolutely central to England losing quarterfinals and major tournaments, and it's going to be a joy to watch. <laughs> yeah, and you throw in Greenwood as well, and Lamptey at right back. I mean, we were talking about their right back options a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't even mention Lamptey, who probably could be... You know England's right back for the next ten years as well, and it's just such a shame that Ad Boothroyd keeps making the hames of the under twenty one squad in every tournament he goes yeah. to, no matter how good the players are he has available to him, including Foden two years ago as well, and he had Wambasaka and Henderson, and I mean he had an amazing squad two years ago and made a complete shambles of it, like he did, and that's before you get into, you know. Eze and all of these other fellas who are playing week in, week out in the Premier League as well, and they're still only in their, you know, late teens or early twenties. So I mean, it's a phenomenal group of players that England have coming through in the next two to three years. And of course, with the Brexit regulations as well, it's going to force clubs to even find more British talent um, or potentially Irish talent as well could work in our favour. So um, I think you know. Not that I necessarily think Southgate and Boothroyd, that's two people who should be the national manager or the under-21 manager. I think England might be in a situation after this summer where they need to look at both of those, um, uh, both of their jobs, to be honest, and decide if they're the, the two best guys to nurture that talent for the next decade. But uh, if if they are, there's a there's a huge talent pool to choose from. First, I thought you chewed your bollocks to be quite honest. Excuse me, this is live. <laughs> Delighted to welcome Jeremy Spid from the French Football Weekly Podcast. Thanks for coming on, Jeremy. Hope you're well. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So PSG through to the semi-finals of the Champions League, getting one over on Bayern Munich this week. And I think over the two legs, people were pretty blown away by the standard of football that was on show, um, particularly um, Mbappe and, and Neymar at times. I mean, moments of just sheer brilliance. Um, and it feels like they're only kind of starting to get appreciated now on a wider scale. Um, we'll get into the individuals shortly, um, but first, is this maybe, is this PSG's biggest win of, of this current era? Um, it certainly feels like a, like a coming-of-age kind of result to, to knock out Bayern. Yeah, I think it is. Um, they had, you know, everyone forgets because of the, the remontada and the 6-1, but before that, in the first leg, PSG smashed Barcelona 4-0. Um, and that was obviously a very good Barcelona side. So I think that was probably their reference win up till now. Um, and 
kind of last year's run to the Champions League final, I think, actually. They just got very lucky with the draw. And obviously in the last round, they, they beat Barcelona comfortably in the first leg as well. But this is not the same Barcelona as the one they beat a few years back. So, yeah, I think this is, you know, despite the injuries that Bayern have got, and obviously especially Lewandowski, they are the reigning champions. They are finally running away with the, with the Bundesliga again. So, yeah, I think this is by a long way their, their biggest, certainly over two legs, their, their, their biggest win. I think we'll probably get into a little bit more detail of, of the title race um, shortly. But, I mean, kind of similarly to Manchester City, it feels like PSG have been gung-ho for, for the Champions League for a long, long time. Um, their second favourites to City, and, and it's going to be a huge tie. I mean, it's, it's probably, it's definitely the tie of the, the semi-finals, but um, it does feel a little bit ironic that you kind of have two clubs um, fighting it out for that honour. Um, both kind of coming from from petro petro states, um, Qatar and, and Abu Dhabi. Um, so I mean, as enjoyable as it go, it's as a spectacle spectacle it's going to be. Um, there is kind of an undercurrent there that uh, a lot of people aren't going to enjoy. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair enough. I mean, from from my point of view as a sort of French football fan in England, I get a little bit annoyed that PSG get a lot of the stick that. City maybe don't. Um, I think, yeah, they're both owned by uh, <laughs> morally questionable states. They're both, um, they've both got a history of, of sort of tanking in the Champions League, although actually City have been sort of failing for longer than PSG because they got their money earlier and PSG have now already got to a final. So I do think there's a little bit of double standards, but certainly I think both both clubs deserve a little bit of sort of cynicism and criticism. But, you know, let's not forget that the other semi-final is made up of the original sort of, um, the original club that kind of benefited from arguably reasonably unsavoury money as well. And Real Madrid seemed to do okay, constantly having debts wiped off by, by, by the state or by local banks or whatever. I don't really know exactly how it works, but you know, they're not, they're not exactly shy and retiring underdogs either. So I, yeah, sometimes I feel there's a little bit of hypocrisy and where there isn't fair enough, but also I just think, okay, talk about it a bit, but then sort of once the match starts, let's just try to appreciate mm-hmm. it, appreciate the players on show and, and just try to appreciate the football for what it is and, and separate the two issues. I suppose one difference um, for PSG this year compared to last is is the arrival of um, Maurizio Pochettino um, as manager. Um, he has a little bit of a fight on in terms of the the, the league, oh, but he's not too far out from from a Champions League final himself. Do you think you know that experience now that he has in terms of getting to a final? And um, I'm not. Not hugely familiar with with the work he's done in terms of the league so far with PSG, but he does seem like the right man at the right time um, to get them all the way there. I think he's got a relatively free pass this year because he came back came in halfway through the season, and it's a kind of quirky season because because of COVID, and so this this season has kind of been cramped into a smaller, a shorter space of time, and obviously because they got to the final last year. PSG um, particularly had a, a short summer. Um, so I think there's kind of, 
if he doesn't manage to, you know, certainly get the, the domestic treble, for example, I think they'll be mitigating circumstances and he'll, he'll certainly be given the chance to have a, a full pre-season, for example. Um, in the Champions League, it's difficult to say. I think also it, it's not exactly his team. It's certainly not a team that's been sort of, um, I guess, trained in the way that we expect a Pochettino team to be trained as in kind of, you know, work to the bone in pre-season so they can have this all-energy pressing game. So even if they weren't to go ahead and, and win it, I don't think he would necessarily get any blame for that. I mean, even in the past, I think PSG coaches have had a little bit too much um, blame put on them. I think that previous failures, I think, can be shared around the coach, the players, and for me, the, the recruitment above them as well. Um, if they do go on to win it, and certainly we know that he's got previous for beating um, Guardiola in the Champions League from, from when Spurs beat City, I think certainly he'll take a lot of credit for it. But mm. you also have to say, you know, just as much as the, this quirky season has affected PSG, it also affected Bayern Munich. Um, and... I think some of the decisions that, that Pochettino has made in the last couple of matches that have worked out very well have sort of sort of been made for him. So with Neymar not entirely fit and then uh, Verratti kind of dropping out through uh, injury and, and COVID just as Neymar comes back, it sort of saved him from, from making a couple of tough decisions there. So already today, there's quite a lot of talk about, um, you know, does he fit both Neymar and Verratti into the, into the next the next round, and if so, how? And, and it'll be interesting to see what he does. But obviously, you have to say that probably so far domestically, he hasn't pulled up any trees. But obviously, Champions League-wise, a two-leg win over Bayern Munich is, is you know, as good as it gets. Jeremy, you mentioned there the kind of potential selection headache um, Pochettino's facing in terms of fitting uh, Verratti and Neymar into the same team. Um, given what Neymar pulled in the, in the quarter final, uh, it'll be it'll be hard enough to to tell him he's not going to start a semi final. He's um he he like kind of carrying on in Champions League terms from how well he played in the in the knockout stages last year and that kind of weird one leg mini tournament feeling. He uh, between him and himself and Kylian Mbappe, they lit up the show um over over the two legs against Bayern. Uh, personally speaking, I'm <laughs> I'm what you'd call maybe a Neymar skeptic. I Absolutely, I'm able to acknowledge the skill that he has, but I'm able to kind of resist those charms in, by the fact that he—I find him a bit of a prick. But um, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't use the word charm to describe Neymar. <laughs> I mean, oh. his, 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 his playing charms. I mean, what he does with his feet, as opposed to you know everything else about him. But um, I think for the first time, I've noticed certainly since last year's Champions League on footballing Twitter, if you want to use that kind of dysfunctional community as a bellwether, uh, there's been kind of a a pro Neymar push for the first time in a long time now. Uh, I know from what you said to us off air, Jeremy, you're not necessarily part of that, and I definitely wouldn't term myself that either. Um, but what exactly does Neymar have to do to be accepted by everyone? I mean, he's doing pretty much all he can on the pitch. Is there always just going to be part of Neymar that makes him objectionable to people? Or if he helps to lead this PSG team past City and to a Champions League win, is that a way he'll finally be able to kind of get that devotion that the likes of Leo Messi get more readily from football fans? Um, I think, 
I mean, I think part of it is football. And to be fair, part of it is, I think it's reasonable to judge him a little bit on the non-football stuff as well. Mm. Um, I sort of, I quite like to compare him to, to Ronaldinho in the sense that you could argue that he'll never, that he could be even better than he is, but he sort of made that deal to also do the partying and the late night poker and that kind of thing, which mm. arguably does affect his form and certainly his fitness. And I think that was the same with Ronaldinho. The difference was that Ronaldinho always played with a smile on his face and, and everyone enjoyed watching him play. Whereas Neymar, you know, with all the scowling and the diving and the, you know, pretend crying and all that is just so mm. tiresome. Um, in terms of the, the football itself, I think you, since he's been at PSG, he's missed more matches than he's played. And part of that has been unlucky injuries, but some of it has been petty uh, suspensions. You know, at the moment he's suspended in, in domestic football because in his first match back, he, he got himself sent off again with two uh, two bookable offences, both of them sort of just, you know, sticking his face in an opponent's face and then sticking his hand in another opponent's face. All stuff that a 29-year-old um you know, superstar should not be doing. Yeah. Um, then you, you've also got the the fact that a lot of the injuries, I think, are due to his lifestyle. And I think that's more and more people, are, are even within PSG, are coming to, to realise that. Um, you know, the late nights, the not eating and drinking well enough, um, especially as he gets older. You've also got the fact that, you know, two years ago he clearly wanted to leave PSG and more or less went on strike mistraining in an attempt to go back to Barcelona and yeah football fans are fickle so PSG fans have, have quickly forgiven him for that but for me his time in France despite a very good goal scoring and assist record has been a failure because I don't think they've won anything that they wouldn't have won anyway um, and like I said, you know, missing half these matches is, I don't think, good enough for the amount that he's obviously being um, um, he's being paid for the um, sort of trouble that he's caused off the pitch. You know, the, the like well-publicized spats with Cavani a couple of years ago, for example. Yeah. Um, and as long as they don't win the Champions League, I think even if it's due to uh, bad luck with injuries, sometime I think it's reasonable to say, well, therefore. Yeah, he's not been a success. It hasn't been a successful signing. But obviously, win a Champions League and that completely changes because that's that's the ultimate um, ambition of, of the owners. Um, and if they do it, if they do it because of his football, which last year I thought people overdid what a great influence he was. But, you know, certainly I have to admit begrudgingly that um, <laughs> his performances in these two legs have been fantastic. And if he can keep that up for the next, uh, well, the, the two legs of the semi-final and the final, then, yeah, they've got a very good chance of winning it. And uh, you have to give him a lot of credit. I mean, I, I could be very harsh and say he missed two or three sitters the other day. <laughs> um, I could also be very cynical and say, of course, he's going to you know, be fit and on form at the end of the season because he's managed to miss most of the season so far. But the fact is that, you know, this late into big competitions like the Champions League, you need your big players to step up. And if he does that and helps them win it, then um, I suppose he deserves the compliments he'll get. But I think he also deserves to be a sort of the divisive figure that he is, because I think there's lots of 
real unpleasantness about both his football and his character. Um, But I also understand his fanboys who I've experienced a lot of every time I I dare to criticise him on Twitter. I just think (laughs) it's a shame, like when you watch clips of him at Santos, he was that Ronaldinho figure. It was all good fun. He was playing football for the love of it, whereas now it just seems a hassle for him. And I just wish, you know, the brilliant player that he is, he focused just on the football and not on the um, all the, the nastiness and the cheating. Jeremy, where does that contrast with Kylian Mbappe? Um, obviously, he's done it internationally with France um, at the World Cup. Um, in terms of his club career, I mean, for us in, in the UK and Ireland, I mean, he's he's kind of been out of sight and out of mind um, in, in playing in the French League. But... He's starting to deliver now in Champions League level. What would his kind of reputation, how would his reputation um, be fared if, if, if he helps PSG um, go all the way this year? I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm sort of mystified by the fact that he still needs to do anything to, to kind of seal his <laughs> reputation. He's, he's 22. He's already won the World Cup. He's already won several titles. He's probably going to finish top scorer in France for the third year in a row. And I know it's not the greatest league in the world, but you know I'm certainly not going to back Jamie Carragher saying that it's it's nothing. And, and um, you know Neymar yeah. and Mbappe deserve no credit for what they do in France. I think that's a disgusting comment. Um, he's done it Champions League wise. Okay, he hasn't won it yet, but. You know, from when he was at Monaco, even he scored goals, and not even just mm. you know in, with home advantage. He scored important away goals at Manchester City, at Man United, at Dortmund, at Juventus, at um, Barcelona, at Bayern. Um, you know, this is a player who does do it on the big stage. And he, yes, he did go, I think, almost a year without scoring in the Champions League, kind of between late last year, where to be fair, he was injured and sort of deep into the group stages this year. Um, Again, remember, he pretty much hasn't had a a break, even much of a summer break for a good two or three years now. Um, Yes, he can. I worry about Neymar's influence on him, to be honest. I think he's becoming a little bit too arrogant at times. And also, like Neymar, I I get that sometimes if things aren't going exactly his way in matches, he doesn't get petulant, but he becomes sort of increasingly selfish and tries to do it more himself rather than thinking this is exactly the time where I should be bringing teammates into play. But he's still maturing as a player. I think you saw in the match this week, actually, he was extremely unselfish and, you know, really hard running for the team, even a couple of sprints back defensively, which you never see from either of them. Um, I think he set up Neymar for, for most of the chances that he had. Um I just I think he's a fantastic player, and yeah, of course you get um, periods where he's he's off form, and and you know the last French, the last international break, he was he was really poor for France, but generally he does step up wh- when he needs to, and and you know I still think there's so much room for improvement that he should become the next global superstar. Mm. Do you think he'll spend many more years in Liga? Um, I mean, it's obviously going to take a, a fairly extortionate fee to to get him um, out of PSG, um, but he probably does has aspirations of 
of Real Madrid or, or Barcelona or maybe even someone in the Premier League? Yeah, I just I can't see him staying for long. I think if he was to stay, I, I can't see it being more than a season or two at most. Um, you know, the, they're talking about the fact that Neymar has, has almost signed an extension and, and there's been so much from Neymar this week professing his love for PSG and I just don't buy it at all. I think the fact is no one's interested in him anymore or certainly not interested enough to put put up the money they need or they don't have the money, obviously. Um, so I, whatever he and PSG say, I think they're kind of stuck with each other. I think Neymar uh, Mbappe is very different. I think PSG desperately want to keep him and quite right too because I, he is the star of the team now. Yes, Neymar can have um, better matches as he arguably did this week. But again, the fact that Neymar has missed so much, whereas Mbappe for two or three years now at times has been carrying the team, if not carrying the team, at least he's been there week in, week out, um, putting his all in for, for the team. Um, and obviously in terms of age, in terms of the fact that he's won the World Cup, I just think he's more marketable if we have to talk about that side of football as well. So I definitely think PSG would like to have to keep him. And if he decides that he does want to go, definitely the, the fee is an issue. And I'd have thought that... Um, I, th- I still think Real are the favourites, just as certainly while Zidane is there and certainly because they're the team that yeah. Mbappe always supported as a kid. Um, and all, he always said that he would play there one day. Um, but I, I, PSG aren't going to want to let, let him go cheaply. So I guess it's whether Real Madrid can put up the kind of money that PSG want this summer. Um, if not, whether they can persuade Mbappe to stay at least for one more year. But it's a risky yeah. risky game because his contract ends at the end of next season and obviously then he'd be able to go for free. So if he is going to stay, they're going to have to make big assurances about future com- competitivity. And I know, you know them having just beaten Bayern Munich and got to the final, it sounds a silly thing to say, but I still don't think that Overall, it's a particularly strong squad compared to some others in Europe. Um, I think there's been an element of, of a perfect storm this year because of some team, bigger clubs being off form or, you know, Bayern losing Lewandowski at a crucial time, for example. But generally, I feel like there's too much onus on Navas, Marquinhos, Neymar and Mbappe and the rest of the team around them is actually not that strong. Um, and if I was Mbappe, I'd want a lot more investment in certain positions that have never been filled very well by, um, under the under the Qataris um, before I before I committed. But I'm not Mbappe, so unfortunately. Jerry, Jeremy, just on that and the depth of the PSG squad, I suppose um, what backs up your point is their domestic form. And if we look at you know the defeats at home, in particular against. Nance, Monaco and Lille just a couple of weeks ago. It's it's a much tighter league on than we're used to in the last few years. Do you think, firstly, the Champions League could distract them from winning the title or vice versa? You look at their, their home form. I mean, if you include the Barcelona match where they were very lucky to get a draw and then obviously they did lose at home to Bayern Munich this week, um, their home form is horrific. They haven't won for... Um, a long time, just having a look, um, since sort of mid-February um, at home. And 
I, I, I think that there's various reasons for it. I think there is a little bit probably of, of cockiness that they just expect to turn up and win in Ligue 1, which frankly they should. Um, I think teams like Lille and Monaco have been excellent this year and, and we shouldn't take any credit away from them. Um, there has been the reasons that I've said about injuries and tiredness and, and COVID factoring in, although you know, that has affected other teams as well. Um, and now, I think, I'm not sure it's been reasonable to say you know, during the whole season, but certainly now it's fair to say that they're obviously going to put um, any emphasis on, on the Champions League. Um, I, for me, I, th- I still think they are going to win the league because I still find it hard to see them dropping fewer points, uh, more points than than any of the other teams. Um, but you know, just the fact that we've got this title race involving anyone else, let alone three other teams, it is fantastic. And yeah, like I said, I think you, you've got to give those teams credit as well. Um, but for for me, PSG squad is is so strong that um on a domestic level that if they if they don't win it whenever they don't win it it's it's their fault as much as anyone you know anyone else's credit if we look at the situation Pochettino is now and you said earlier that obviously this isn't his team and he'll 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 probably look to address that but um in terms of how he's viewed in France and, and what his relationship with the fans will be when they when they do return to the stadium Looking back at PSG in the last few years, that fan-coach connection has never really been there. They didn't really take to Emery. Tuchel kind of had his moments, but again, he didn't have the connection he had with fans at Dortmund. Lauren Blanc was arguably the last PSG coach who's really had a strong connection with the fans. Do you think Pochettino is somebody who, who can rebuild that relationship and he, somebody who, could, who the fans really could get behind when they do return? He definitely starts with a lot more credit than than others because I think he's very respected for what he did at Spurs, but also he's a former PSG player and captain. So he's he's pretty much loved by the fans already. Like he doesn't he starts off you know, the others had to prove themselves immediately, whereas he's he's kind of in a way already proved himself in in, in the fans' eyes and arguably could only stands to sort of only lose credit. Um my worry for any coach there is kind of the player power and weakness above him. So, you know, Al Khalifi, who kind of makes all the football decisions, personally, I think he's he's one of those sort of sporting directors that actually knows nothing about football, is very starstruck by certain players and lets the likes of Ibrahimovic in the past and, and Neymar now kind of rule the roost. And he's and kind of com- constantly undermines the the, the coach. Now, Emery, for example, started very well with a with a change of tactics. The players decided they didn't like it. They went to Al Khalifi to to complain, and he told Emery to change the tactics back. For example, so you know, I think when you're when you're having to fight against your own team and your own sort of employers, it makes everything a lot harder. So I think Pochettino. Be already having that credit within the club, and obviously, if he wins the Champions League this year, even more so, um, will hopefully be given a little bit more um, kind of autonomy and more freedom to just get on with the football side himself. Um, it's interesting that Tuchel is already doing so well at Chelsea, and even just the last two three days, I've seen a lot of kind of revisionism from a lot of, of French journalists, kind of saying, "Well, he wasn't that bad actually, was he?" 
Whereas when he was at PSG, he was getting loads of criticism, which I, I don't think was always fair. Jeremy, we won't um, make it all about PSG here tonight. And I suppose a lot of people listening mightn't be hugely familiar with, um, with Ligue 1 and be surprised to hear that um, they're second at the table. Um, and Lille are leading the way by three, three points. Um, and I mean, even if you kind of scan through their squad, um, there's a lot of familiar names, obviously, um, Jonathan David and, and Timothy Way are two really exciting young players. Um, but then there's the likes of Renato Sanchez. I know he, he had a pretty bad spell at, at, at Swansea, um, where a lot of people are probably most familiar with him. Um, and the guys like Jose Font um, was at Southampton, did quite well. Sven Botman, um, I think he's been linked with Liverpool over the past couple of months in, in, in their kind of hunt for... Uh, for, for a centre half but Lille seemed to be um, a pretty exciting young team and it'll be a, I suppose a huge um, kind of moment for them to, to go all the way in, in, in the in the league this year Yeah definitely I think um, two years ago they, they finished second um, last year they finished fourth but I think if the season had, had sort of carried on to its you know if it had been completed I'm pretty sure they, they'd have probably got third in Champions League as well and and this year, yeah, so far it's gone brilliantly. I think it's um, they've got an excellent coach in Christophe Galtier, who did a very good job at Saint Etienne beforehand, um, mostly playing sort of dour defensive football. And when he joined Lille, it was kind of a revelation playing this exciting attacking football. This year, it's been a bit of both. It started off quite attacking, and, and recently it's become very defensive. And they're getting a bit of criticism for that, but you know, I think there's, there's different ways to win things, and I think he's shown that he can do both. Um, and I hate using the, the phrase project, but it has been a bit of a project at Lille, and mm. it's no coincidence that the guy that was behind a lot of it was Luis Campos, who's the one that sort of discovered all these great players and sold them for billions at Monaco. And it's been a similar model at, at Lille, which actually makes what they're doing this year all the more impressive. You know, they've got the likes of, you know, they, they sort of um, made Pepe, then sold him to Arsenal and then brought in Ozymen to replace him and sold him for a fortune to Napoli. Mm. And as you said, they, they kind of brought in David to, to replace him. You've got Gabriel who went to Arsenal last year. Everyone was thinking, well, you know, that's their best defender gone. What are they going to do? And they bring in this Botman who was kind of rejected by Ajax. And now it looks like he's probably, if anything, an upgrade on Gabriel. So there's a brilliant recruitment policy there. Um, and one of the problems with, with a lot of the French clubs is that there's no continuity. Only PSG are able to build a dynasty because they don't need to sell all their star players every summer. So, like I said, it's, it's particularly difficult for Lille that every year they're selling two, three players, albeit for a lot of money, and having to start again. Um, so I think everything that they've done the last two, three years has been fantastic, and, and they deserve extra credit for that. Um, but I do feel like this year is kind of, you know, it's now or never, partly because of yeah. all the, the things we said about PSG, but also Campos has left, Lopez, the president, has left. They've been bought by some kind of, um, you know, hedge fund company who probably aren't so interested in the football as much as, as um, repaying debts. Um, Gautier has said before that, you know, he's part of a trio with Lopez and Campos. So I, wouldn't, I think there's a very good chance he'll leave. Um Botman almost certainly will leave. Sanchez will probably look to leave. So I, I feel like everything about the club could be sort of ripped out this summer. 
So I, I really hope that they do it because I, I sort of worry about yeah. them having to start everything again from next year. I suppose not too um, similar to Monaco a couple of years back, um, who were third in the league. Um, a point off PSG, um, obviously they had that amazing generation with Mbappe and, and Fabinho um, and the likes of them a couple of years back um, and obviously had that fantastic Champions League run. Are they, they're not a million miles away in the league. Can they kind of upset the apple cart there before before the, the league resumes? I think they could do. I mean, they, they've still got to play, I think, Lille and Lyon. So they, those couple of matches could, could have a mm. big effect on... on um, They've definitely got. They've definitely got Lille. I'm not sure about Lyon, but um, those matches are obviously going to have an effect. I think on 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 whether where the title eventually goes. They they sort of got a little bit too cocky after after they won the league and had that Champions League <laughs> run. And I think they were they started signing players who were just too young and didn't have the experience. Jardim obviously got bored with bringing through these youngsters and started leaning a lot on his older players. And I think there was a lot that went on in the background. And, and <laughs> I mean, I think they, they made almost a, a billion in, in, in transfer fees. And it, it looks like most of that went to, to Jardim in two payoffs after sort of sacking him, bringing him back and sacking him again. But um, they, they've got their house in order now. They've got um, a much more sensible sporting director um, in Paul Mitchell. And they've got a good coach who, didn't do brilliantly at Bayern, but has proved himself as, as a good coach at Frankfurt in, in Kovac. And in terms of the players, they've got a very nice balance of um, good, experienced players. You know, you've got Fabregas there. You've got Ben Yedder, who's a, a proven goalscorer. Volund, who's come in now. Um, and then you've also got some really talented young players. Arguably, the you know Chouameni is probably the one that, that most people are, are looking at at the moment. And I think Chelsea are, are very interested in him. So it took them a while to get going this year and, and in a way that that's been unfortunate for them because they had a lot of catch-up to do. Um, you know, if they if they sort of had their 2021 form in the first half of the season, they'd, they'd more or less be running away with the title. Um, but certainly, they're, they're, even if they don't do it this year, and they still could do, I don't think they will, but um, even if they don't do it, they're, again, as long as they're able to keep most of those players um, within the squad, then they're they're very well set up for a, for a good campaign next year. Great stuff. The, the French league definitely one to keep an eye on um, over the next couple of weeks. Jeremy, thanks very much for coming on tonight. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks again. Respect. 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 Respect, man. Respect. 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 So we leave it there, so. Okie doke. Good night and God bless. <laughs> <laughs>